11.33. No one after lighting a lamp puts it in a cellar or under a basket, but on a stand so that those who enter may see the light. Your eye is the lamp of your body. When your eye is healthy, your whole body is full of light. But when it is bad, your body is full of darkness. Therefore, be careful, lest the light in you be darkness. If then your whole body is full of light, having no part dark, it will be wholly bright as when a lamp with its rays gives you light. Lord Jesus, we thank you this morning for what you're going to do in our hearts. We thank you for how you've served us so immensely through your gospel. We thank you for how uh, you're changing us. And Lord, we ask this morning that you would change us uh, to a greater capacity, to a greater degree as we learn more about you. And Lord, this morning, we, as we, we gather here, God, I'm, I'm praying that there would be, in particular, a, a move of your spirit on us, on these people here this morning, on the folks that are at home watching on live stream. God, I'm asking this morning for, for something transformative to take place by the power of your spirit, that God, that you would work in our hearts, that you would convict us, that you would move. It's in your name we pray, amen. Amen, you can be seated. Verse 35 says, therefore be careful lest the light in you be darkness. Therefore be careful lest the light in you be darkness. What is Jesus trying to say there? Jesus, I believe, is trying to caution us on something that we don't even realize is taking place. Jesus is trying to caution us on the, the reality of our hearts that he knows and that even we know on some level and yet we deny it. Jesus says, be careful thinking that you have light in you and yet it's actually darkness. Our world is full of this today. Our world is full of everyone believing that they have the light, that they have the real answer, that they have the real medicine for what's happening today in America and across the world. But Jesus says, be careful lest you think the light in you be darkness. There is an inner battle that every single one of us has. There's an inner battle that each of us continually fights, and on some level it's subconscious, on another level it's conscious. The battle is this, that my outward life may not be consistent with my inward life. That my outward life, the way that I live on a regular basis, the, the what I say that I want, what I, what I, what I say that I, that I am, the way that I present my character, the way that I present who I am is not actually consistent with what I feel like. It's not actually consistent with what I believe, with, with what, what I think I know. And so Jesus has some words for us. 
And ultimately what he's gonna tell us is this, is that I cannot transform my life on my own. I cannot transform my life on my own. My life will either be transformed by everything around me, by, what, by whatever I see as beautiful. You've heard the phrase, beauty lies in, in the eye of the beholder. Whatever I see as beautiful actually changes me. Whatever I view as the, the best thing, as the most awesome, as the greatest, whatever I see, it actually changes me. It actually changes you. The problem is, is that I cannot transform my life to be something other than what I behold as beautiful. I cannot transform my life on my own. My life will be transformed by whatever is around me, by whatever I see as absolutely beautiful. And the reality is, is that I know that I need transformation. I know that my inner life is not always consistent with my external life, that my inner life really has a battle going on inside of it, that my inner life really is something different than I am, than I present myself to be. And Jesus cautions against this. He says, therefore, be careful lest the light in you be darkness. Immediately after this passage, Jesus has some words for some people who are religious. They're very religious. They're called Pharisees. They're called the lawyers or the scribes. These are the people that Jesus is consistently battling with in uh, the Gospels. These are the people that believe that they have it all together. And Jesus calls out against them. Let me read to you some of that passage. It says in, in verse 37, while Jesus was speaking, a Pharisee asked him to dine with him, so he went in and reclined at table. The Pharisee was astonished to see that he did not first wash before dinner, and the Lord, that is Jesus, said to him, now you Pharisees cleanse the outside of the cup and of the dish, but inside you're full of greed and wickedness. Your inner life is inconsistent with your outer life. Who you claim to be out here is not who you are right here. Jesus says, I can, I can see it. Jesus looks at them, and the, their eyes are really a window to their soul. He says, you fools, did not he who made the outside make the inside also? Jesus says, your inner life is not the same as, the, as your outer life, and he's saying, can't you see that the one who created you on the inside is also the one who created the outside of you? I'm the only one. I am the creator God who can change you. I'm the one who can transform you. He says, verse 42, but woe to you Pharisees. You tithe mint and rue and every herb. These guys were so careful about giving a tenth of everything that they had, which the Old Testament commands. That they, that they even tithed of their spices. Like, I better give a tenth, better give a tenth, better give a tenth. They were so meticulous about this. He says, you're so meticulous about this stuff that other people can see, and yet you neglect justice and the love of God. You do not treat people 
who have less than you with justice. You do not treat people who are around you with uh, compassion and care. You neglect the love of God. These you ought to have done without neglecting the others. Your inner life should be consistent with your outer life. What's Jesus pointing out here? You cannot transform yourself. He says, woe to you in verse 44, for you are like unmarked graves and people walk over them without knowing it. Why is that a problem? Because to even step over a grave means that someone who, a religious person in their day would become clean, or become unclean, I should say. They would be ceremonially, ceremonially unclean. And so they would whitewash these graves in order to show, hey, there's a, there's a dead body here. And Jesus says, you are like unmarked graves. People walk over you, they become unclean just by their presence around you. It looks like everything's fine, like there's nice grass growing over this, this grave and so forth, but Jesus says, what really is going on inside of you is a death. That there is a death that is rotting on the inside, and people get near you, they don't realize it, and they themselves become unclean in that sense, just their presence. So then some of the lawyers answered him in verse 45, and they say, teacher, in saying these things, you insult us also. And Jesus said, you dang right I did. He says, oh yeah? Well, listen to this. Woe to you lawyers also. I got some for you too. For you load people with burdens hard to bear, and you yourselves do not touch the burdens with one of your fingers. You tell people all of the rules that they need to follow, and you don't even lift a finger to help them, to assist them. You weigh people down with more and more things to do. Here's another thing to do. Here's another. This is what you have to do to make yourself acceptable to God. If you do these things, and what Jesus is saying, you're telling people to clean the outside of the dish, but the inside is filthy rotten. You're telling people that just get your outer life right, and then everything will be fine on the inside. And Jesus is saying, that doesn't work. You can't clean up the outside of your life without having the inside of your life cleaned up. He says, woe to you, you build tombs of the prophets whom your fathers killed. He's basically saying in this series of verses, verse 47, we're not gonna go into this extensively, but he says, you remember all the Old Testament prophets that your forefathers killed? You're responsible. You're just as responsible as your forefathers were. You're, you're building the tombs, you're killing them. Verse 52 Woe to you, lawyers, for you have taken away the key of knowledge. You did not enter yourselves, and you hindered those who were entering. He's saying, you're taking away the key of knowledge. Jesus is basically saying to them, we are all dumber having had listened to you. you we, we are no further ahead by listening to what you say. And hear me on this. Religion always leads to believing that somehow you can clean up your life just by cleaning up the outside. It is man's effort to get to God. Religion always leads you to believe that you can clean your life up. And men and women, while Jesus seems harsh here, he's talking to his biggest critics, the people who will ultimately condemn him to die. 
And Jesus is speaking the truth to them because nobody has for a long time. They just, they just thought they must be really good people and I just better follow what they, they have to say. But Jesus saves his harshest criticism for the people who are religious of his day. And what does he have to say to them? You cannot clean the outside of the dish and think that somehow the inside is clean. It is full of rot and decay and you cannot be transformed on your own. The human spirit cannot transform the human spirit. Everybody today believes that they have the answer. Everybody today believes that they have the correct answer to the decay that's going on in our society. But our society is rotting from the inside out. I praise God for this because the reality is becoming, I'm sorry, the, the truth is, become, is becoming, uh, we're becoming aware of what's really going on. And the truth is this, that the human spirit cannot transform the human spirit. Only the Holy Spirit of God can transform the human spirit. Why? Because he is the creator. So what Jesus says here going back to the beginning of the passage, as he says, therefore be careful lest the light in you be darkness. Now that's a shot across the bow of these religious people. And he says, you think that you have the light and yet you have darkness. But it's not just for religious people, it's also for irreligious people. Because irreligious people also have a moral standard that they desire to follow. We see it all the time in the news. We see it in the laws that are created as we try to legislate morality, as we try to legislate justice. We, we see in our culture that there's this irreligious movement that basically says that this is what should happen and what our religion, or I'm sorry, what our uh, judicial system, what our political system, what our social system believes is that you should clean up the outside of the cup and the inside will become clean. If all of us could just get behind the idea of racial justice, then racial justice will happen. If all of us could get behind the idea that we should love one another, if we legislate that, if we clean the outside of the cup, then the inside will become clean. But you and I both know if we're really honest with ourselves that my internal life does not match my external life, the things that I believe to be true, that the things that I believe to be right, morally right, oftentimes are not actually convictions from my heart, but they're actually convictions from what I believe I need to be doing. Whether you're doing it because you believe, you know, you believe that a, a good deed erases a bad deed. You believe that God will be happy, happy with you. You believe that you'll be more socially acceptable. You believe that you will have position and power. You believe whatever it is. See, all of us believe that there is a moral standard. But what all of us don't say very often is this, that I don't even reach my own moral standard. Jesus says, therefore be careful lest the light in you be darkness. 
He says this in verse 33, that this is the way that it should be. Verse 33 is basically saying, this is the way that it should be. Verse 33 says, no one after lighting a lamp puts it in a cellar or under a basket, but on a stand so that those who enter may see the light. What's Jesus talking about there? Again, this is one of those passages that's like, Jesus, what are you talking about? There's a mixing of metaphors in here. So what's Jesus talking about here? He's talking about transformation, about personal transformation. He's talking about, here's how you clean the inside of the dish. You can't do it from the human spirit. It has to be done in some other way. But Jesus says this. He's saying, no one after lighting a lamp. What's he talking about there? He's saying, no one after uh, getting the message of Christ. No one after getting this message puts it in a cellar or under a basket but on a stand so that those who enter may see the light. The way that it should be is that I have the light, I possess the light, the light has been lit in me and that light radiates to other people. It lights the whole room. That's the way that it should be. Jesus' message of love for you should result in light or love for other people. Matthew 5, 16 kind of continues this same thought when it says, in the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. So that's the way that it should be. But the way that it is is verse 34. Verse 34 says, your eye is the lamp of your body. When your eye is healthy, your whole body is full of light. And when it is bad, your body is full of darkness. So Jesus first talks about there's this lamp in this room and it shines. Jesus is the lamp. It shines. It should be revealed to everybody. But then Jesus says, your eye is the lamp of your body. Your eyes are the window to your soul, right? You ever, you ever said, like, I, I felt like she was looking into my soul when she looked at me. Oh my gosh. I felt like he can just see who I am. I felt like this about my aunt when I was, uh, when I was uh, 15, something like that. I moved down to Texas. And when I moved down to Texas, I, uh, I, I, I chewed tobacco. I chewed tobacco before I went to Texas. I know that's cliche, but I, I was chewing tobacco. And so I went down there to my aunt's house. My aunt uh, did not want me to chew tobacco. And so uh, I, uh, but then I, I found a way. I got my friend from Salem to mail me some chewing tobacco, right? I was like, dude, dude, could you do something for me? Could you go buy a roll of chewing tobacco and would you send it to me? So he sends me in a package. And I, I mean, <laughs> I'm a 15-year-old. A package comes to me at my aunt's house. And we're both at the door and she's like, oh, it's a package for you. Oh, awesome, cool, thanks. And she, don't you want to see what's in it? Oh, no, it's fine, it's fine, it's fine. <laughs> my bedroom, don't tell her. And I'm sure she's like, I don't know what, what's going on there. So then I start chewing tobacco. And so she finds out. And then I would go to school, and uh, I was in school one day, and this kid, you know, he has, he has some chew, and he's like, and I'm like, hey, could I get a, a dip from you? And so I, I take a chew. I'm in sixth period, mind you. It's the last class of, of, of school. So I'm, I'm, I'm in, in sixth period, I, I take some chewing tobacco, you know, wash my hands, all this stuff. I get in the car, 
My aunt, I think, is looking into my soul. She can see he's done something wrong. And she, I get in the car and she goes, dang it, Matt. You chewed tobacco again, didn't you? And I was like, how did you know this? I could not get away with anything with this woman. She was somebody who could see into my soul. And Jesus is saying this. He's saying, your eyes are a lamp into your body. They really are a window to your soul. What you behold as beautiful is what is actually transforming you. One way or another, you are transformed. But here's the problem. We have all been transformed into who we are today. The influence of our life, the influence of our culture, the influence of the people around you has transformed our inner life. It has transformed us into who we are today. All of us are spiritual beings. All of us are being transformed in one way or another. And the result is this, that there is darkness coming out of us. And so what Jesus is saying here, the eye is the lamp of your body. When your eye is healthy, when your eye beholds what is truly beautiful, when your eye see what is, sees what is truly beautiful, it reflects into your life. It reflects into your heart. It comes out of here, goes into here, and then it illuminates who you are. When your eye is healthy, your whole body is full of light. Your whole body is illumined. He says, but when it's bad, your body is full of darkness. Your body is full of darkness. The light, or the so-called light, that you have may actually be darkness. What you're beholding as beautiful may be the thing that is holding you back. It may be the thing that leaves you untransformed. How does personal transformation take place? Personal transformation cannot take place just because you have gone to church. Just because you've decided to turn over a new leaf in life, now I'm going to have character in my day-to-day -day life. Personal transformation doesn't happen just because you got some more moral friends. Personal transformation doesn't happen because you all of a sudden turned over a new leaf. Because it's just darkness trying to affect darkness. And darkness can't change darkness. It's just washing the outside of the cup. So how does transformation actually take place? And I want to take you to 1 John because I believe 1 John, the book of 1 John, really helps with this. 1 John is such a great book of the Bible because it talks about how, and the, one of the verses this morning was, was read from 1 John that I'm actually going to cover. I didn't even know we were doing that this morning, and so praise God for that. We're talking about love today in Advent, and this is what it's really about. How are we transformed? What is the light that Jesus provides that then comes into our eyes, transforms our eyes, and illumines our life so that we are transformed by the power of the Spirit of God. 
Look at 1 John chapter 1, verse 5. This is the message we have heard from him and proclaimed to you. That God is light and in him is no darkness at all. Stop right there for a second. The first thing that you have to see is this. All of your self-help psychology, all of the ways that you might trans try to transform yourself is really only darkness trying to affect darkness. So the first way to come honestly to God is to admit first and foremost that I am darkness and that God is light. That there's a difference between me and him. He is light and I am darkness. That God is light and in him is no darkness at all. I have a bad, I have bad eyes. The beauty that I behold is the wrong kind of beauty. It's self-promoting. It's greed. It's not driven by love. It's driven by my own desires, my sinful desires. So we must see God as light and us as dark. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. What's Jesus, what's Jesus saying to those religious people, to those Pharisees? If we say that somehow we have relationship with God, when in reality, the truth is the inside of my cup, the inside of my dish is really just filthy. I just have the window dressing to say that somehow I'm a Christian person. But inside, I know what my desires are. If we say that we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. Real transformation has not taken place in my life when the reality is that I am just living in darkness. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with, with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. What's that saying? There's, there's a light that we begin to walk in. Remember, it's the message of Jesus. The light is the message of Jesus that comes to us and it illumines our life. If we walk in the light, what is the light? The light is ultimately this. That God loves us so incredibly much. He takes you right where you are, just as you are, as filthy as the inside of your cup is. And he will take you no other way. He, you cannot be, clean out darkness with darkness. You cannot clean the inside of your cup. God is the only one who is light, who can transform you. He says, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we say, you know what, I'm, I'm not really that bad of a person. I'm kind of nice to people. But the truth is, is that the inside of your cup, you know, you know that you have desires, not of love. You have desires of your life to go well. That's why you've cleaned up the outside. You want life to go well for you. You want to be honored in the 
the sphere of society that you're in. And people look down on dishonesty and unfaithfulness and those kinds of things. So really, it's just serving you. But your desires are the same. Your desires are driven by darkness. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we come before God and we say the honest truth is this, that I really have darkness in me. I am I'm acknowledging the reality that I have darkness and that I cannot transform myself. I cannot make my anxiety better. I cannot make my marital problems go away. I cannot cause myself to change my own character because that's just darkness trying to change darkness. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. See, what Jesus does for us on the cross is that he takes our dirty dishes and he wipes them clean. He wipes them completely clean. But what's he wipe them with? He wipes them with his blood. His blood is given up for you. It's the only thing that can clean the dirtiness of the inward life. It's the only thing that can change us. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. He says, my little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. He is the propitiation. He's the payment for our sins and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. And by this we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. Whoever says I know him but does not keep his commandments is a liar and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word in him truly the love of God is perfected. By this we may know that we are in him. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he did. What this says is this. When you're truly transformed, when life truly takes place, when you come and you say, God, you are light and I am darkness. I can't transform my own life. And then life begins to change. See, the light of Christ begins to shine on us. The light of Christ begins to shine. What is that light? It is the love of God that is incessant. It is the love of God that overwhelms us. It is the love of God that changes us. What is that love like? That love is this. It is that no matter how sinful I am, no matter how prideful I am, no matter how, how many bad things I've done, oh, pastor, but you don't know all the things I've done, but God does. And he offers to you complete forgiveness, complete washing. He offers you transformation. It is there for the taking. It is yours if you will receive it. 
You say, well, I don't think that my life is, is put together enough. That's the, exactly the kind of person. In fact, that's the only kind of person that God receives into his kingdom. The only kind of person that God receives into his kingdom is the person who says, yes, but you don't know my heart. You don't know how bad it is. And God says, that's exactly right. You're the person that I died for. You're the person that I came for. You're the one whom I want to lavish my love and affection on. And it transforms us. How does it transform us? See, the love of God transforms us by replacing all of the other things that we have been looking for love in. See, all of the beauty that we've been seeing, that's beautiful, and I want to be loved by it. That's beautiful, and I want it to shed light on me. What are, we, what are we talking about here? That money, that income is beautiful, and I want it to shed light on me. I want it to transform me. I want it to bring me something else. That relationship is beautiful, and I want it to transform me. I want it to be I want it to make me into something else. Many of us married spouses like that. I want to be a different person, and she's a different person, and so maybe she can, she can fix me, which didn't help in my situation. We want to take something beautiful. We want to make it our own. We want it to change us. I see the respect that that person has, and I want that respect. What does Jesus say to these Pharisees? You love sitting at the head table in front of everybody. You love the respect that you get. You're full of greed. You are trying to be transformed by things that you hold as beautiful. And Jesus says, until you see my love for you as the greatest beauty, as the greatest light, you cannot be transformed. See, Christian people, the problem with us is that many of us have acknowledged that God is light. We've acknowledged that God will condemn our sin and then we take on a pharisaical nature. We take on this religious nature. And we say, I'm just gonna clean myself up. And God says, you can't clean yourself up. And so what happens in us is that we remain untransformed people. Throughout history, there have been moments of transformation. There have been moments of transformation as people as a whole have come to a place where they've realized, in spite of all of my efforts, in spite of my desires, in spite of all the things that I've tried to do, I remain untransformed. And what begins to happen is people begin to confess their lack of transformation. They begin to talk about the, the sins of their culture. 
They begin to discuss and, and be repentant. They begin to come to a point where they begin to acknowledge what 1 John is saying. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. We're deceived. We have been deceiving ourselves. And what God does in those moments is course correction, I believe. What God does in those moments is that he corrects where our culture has been going. And I believe that today, historically speaking, that we have never been in a worse place as a church. There are so many people in the American church, there are so many people in this church that believe today that somehow you can get closer to God just by being a better person. That somehow you need to get, get it right or God's gonna let you go. And Jesus is saying transformation doesn't happen that way. Transformation comes by realizing how untransformed I am and looking at how loved I am, how much God cares for me, how much he has done for me that he would send his only son to the cross. But it's become old hat. It's something that doesn't matter to us. I gotta say that that becomes my story very often. Do you know how hard it is to preach the same message over and over and over again and put a new twist on it? You're like, I knew it. You're preaching the same sermon. It sounds just like last time. Some guy dies on a cross. Well, it's true. Have you been numbed into believing that somehow you are saved with an untransformed life? It is our issue today. And I believe that it's confusing passages like this that have the possibility of transforming us. Jesus says, no one after lighting a lamp puts it in a cellar or under a basket, but on a stand so that those who enter may see the light. The way it should be is that the light of the love of God is abiding in my life. It is transforming me and it illumines my world. that the inside of my cup would be as clean as the outside of my cup. That's what Jesus offers you. Let me encourage you in one thing, and that is to begin reading in 1 John. And look at that light and darkness thing. Look at what, Jesus, what, what God is saying through John to us about his love for us, that that is the light that we need in our lives. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we ask you this morning that you would transform us by your love, that you would awaken us 
to the reality that many of us just remain untransformed. We've received your gospel and concept, but never as a banner over our life that says, I am loved no matter how sinful I am, no matter what my compulsions are, no matter what that's, no matter what's going on in my life, no matter what's happened, I am loved. God, may we see that that is the transforming power, that your love overwhelms our sinful nature. It transforms us. Only you, by the power of your spirit, can transform us by shedding abroad the love of Christ in our hearts. Well, we ask you for that transformation. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Can we go to the Lord's table together? The Lord's table is, another word for it is communion. And it's for the person who has given their life to Jesus Christ, has faith in him. And the reason why we do this is because Jesus, the last time that he was sitting with his disciples, he, he gave them an ordinance or something that they should do on a regular basis. And he said, like, when you guys come together, when you guys get together, would you remember me? Would you remember what I've done for you? Would you just think about what I, I, I did for you? Why? Because that brings light into dark places. And he says, I brought light into this world. And light died for darkness. And it's through my act of being crucified on the cross that you can be transformed. And I want you to remember that it happens because I went to the cross for you as the perfect God-man. And so he says, Hey, look at this piece of bread, guys. This is my body. It's not literally his body. He's saying this represents my body. And I want you to partake of it. Let's partake of the body. And as weird as it sounds, he says, this is my blood. This is what represents my blood. And I want you to receive it internally. I want you to take this and I want it to infect your whole life because this is what removes the darkness is my great love for you that I, I bled out and died for you. Let's partake of the blood. The reason why we come together every week is to shine the light of God's amazing love into our hearts so that we can stand and say, yeah, I'm sinful, but the light of Christ has shown on me and his light is a transforming love and I behold it as beautiful. Would you please see the love that Jesus has for you as beautiful? Stop with all of this, just doing the same thing over and over again and be transformed. Admit your sin. 
admit that he is light and that you are darkness. And yet he loves you with an everlasting, never stopping, never giving up, always and forever love, as it says in a children's Bible, I believe. He loves you that much right here and right now. He loves you immensely. He loves you in spite of what you did last night. He loves you in spite of what you're doing right now. He loves you in spite of the fact that you don't believe sometimes. He loves you in spite of the fact that you've been unfaithful. He loves you in spite of the fact that you lied. He loves you in spite of the fact that you're just a dead Christian. He loves you in spite of the fact that you just come here because you have friends here. He loves you in spite of the fact that you don't measure up in the least bit. And he lavishes his love on you every moment of every day. And he just wants you to behold it, his love, his light as beautiful so that it can shine in your life and that it can radiate to the world around you so that it can transform the world around you. He created you. He's the only one who knows how to truly transform you. Let's worship him together.